Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yes, all is well. Here we are on a damp evening in October. Is it damp? It's it's all right. It's been all right here today. It is in sunny Gloucestershire. Oh, well, you know, you can keep the rain over there, I think. Dr. Foster yeah. went to Gloucester for a reason, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm not complaining. It's good for the garden and my grass. I I did sow some grass seeds, so it's going to help. Oh, fair enough. I don't spend a lot of time in the garden, although I did hack away at it today with uh, with my battery-powered lawnmower. I know you've got a far more sophisticated lawnmower than I do, but yeah, it's it's nice and short. I don't re- really remember cutting much grass in October in previous years, so it's obviously been quite a, a different year for it. Normally up until the end of October. That's, yeah. that's my, 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 if my memory serves. I think I'm due another cut soon. Well, it's all that rain you get in Gloucester, clearly. Yeah, it does grow, it does grow well here. And I back onto a river. And so we've when, when everybody had dead grass, we didn't because of the river. I think we had quite a high water table here. And so we had a nice green garden. It was glorious. Fair enough. Lush. Lush. Right, so we're episode 38, 8th of October. Off we go. Off we go. So a little bit of follow-up. First thing from you, you were going to report back on your cooling on the iPhone 14 Pro. Last time we spoke about this, you felt it was a little bit better. Any updates on that? So definitely better. Definitely not all that. So whilst much better than the 12 and possibly the 13, you can now charge in your car for about an hour before that thing overheats if you're doing Qi charging and CarPlay and navigation and playing music. It's about an hour, whereas I think before it was a lot less, you know, more like half an hour until it just gave up and said it's too, too getting too hot to manage. It is still disappointing, I think, because a lot of cars have got Qi chargers. So it is disappointing that it doesn't manage it better so that maybe it trickle charges or stops charging. So a bit disappointing. I generally, if I'm going on a long journey, actually just revert to a cable or not putting on the Qi charger. Yeah, that's interesting. I can't see I, mine gets warm if I put it on the Qi charger or a MagSafe charger as, if, as I have now in, a, in the car, as we talked about pre- previously. I wouldn't say it overheats when it's doing it. It's just it's obviously doing many things. The only time I've had the the 13 Pro overheat is when it's been in direct sunlight. So I think I spoke before when I was on holiday on a sunbed in the sunlight, the screen dims almost instantly. And then you do occasionally get that exclamation mark that it's too hot and it's going to not let you do anything until it cools down. Yeah, so that that's what I've seen in my car. And like I said, it's barely, it doesn't self-manage that because it's building up over a long period of time. It should be able to go, oh, I'm getting too hot now. I'll, I'll turn off some things. So a little frustrating it's still happening, but it is definitely a lot better. So yeah. on the right track. It's a poor show in the car where you might be relying on it for navigation or something like that. You're quite right. They need to get on top of that. If you're, you know, in the middle of a city, down a one-way system, no clue where you're going and your phone decides to pack up because it's too warm, that's really not good enough. And in my car, to start it, if you're using your phone, you're meant to put it on the Qi charger. So you often get in the car, you put your phone on the Qi charger, you push the start button and you drive off and you, you don't need your phone again. So the design of the of the whole solution isn't fantastic. It is yeah, disappointing, if I'm honest. Mm, yeah, not very good. Worth keeping an eye on. Maybe they can do something about it. Good. Okay. Uh, ne- next item is also yours, I think. Actually, just back up on that one half turn, I did install 16.1 public beta on my iphone and it wasn't fantastic i then got the most recent beta last tuesday on my iphone and it has improved the battery life it's definitely got better so i am hopeful that iphone ios 16.1 will improve people's battery i don't know what they're doing what secret source they've had to find but it is definitely improved now that's interesting. I mean, I, I'd feedback to the My AirPods Pro 2. I said last week in my little review that I felt the battery for the case wasn't particularly good. 
and I'd back that up. I watched it go from one listen down to 66% down to 25% on second one, just charging them up again. And I used to get two to three weeks out of a case before I'd have to charge it again on my old AirPods. So that I find slightly concerning. I've got no other complaints about the performance of them. They're still as good as they were. I cut the grass wearing them today, echoing what you did last week in my probably slightly quieter mower, to be fair. But it cut out the, the whir of the of the mower altogether. So the, the, the AirPods are great, but I'm a little concerned about the battery. It seems to be draining very, very quickly, from or more quickly than I'd expect anyway. On that, there was a new beta for AirPods for AirPods firmware last week. So whether there's new betas coming soon, so maybe that will resolve the issue. Maybe while we're talking about betas, actually, we've got we should maybe have put this in the in the news. We talked last week about a firmware update in one of the betas, making AirPods Max and AirPods Pro give them adaptive transparency. And Apple have since said that that's a mistake that they weren't meant to get the adaptive transparency. So they've pulled that back. So us being very positive last week and going, that's great, isn't it? You know, extending the life of or, or giving old products new features. They didn't mean to do that. Yeah, I did think that might be the case. I was quite excited for a minute that my five hundred pound headphones might last another year before being obsolete it is what it is i guess mm. should we move on so next one is is one i did put in there so i was just thinking about note taking obviously we did some follow-up on it last week in the main show and i did attend a conference this week and i did both take physical notes and i've done some good notes but it got me thinking apple at the developers event in june gave a, a glimpse a preview of a new app called freeform which is on ipad os and could be on the Mac. And I'm actually quite curious to see this when it lands. It looks like an infinite canvas app. It's designed for collaboration, which will be good, but I was more interested in it of just general note-taking. So I think I'm going to put note-taking on pause and just carry on doing what I'm doing, but wait for this to come out, which I assume would be at their October event. The more I think about the October event, the more I think they've got plenty to to demo and release because there was talk of it being press releases. So I think Freeform will, will make an entry there because it should come out of beta. Yeah, I'd forgotten about this Freeform app. It's difficult to link to in the show notes. There is a link to the iPadOS 16 preview, and if you search for Freeform on the page, you'll find it. It does look like an infinite scrolling timeline. It looks like there's post-its in there, and you know, multiple people on iPads presumably can do it. I think they've got other things to fix, haven't they? If they're going to hold an event, you know, like Stage Manager, for example, could be the thing that they sort of really focus on rather than messing about with Freeform. But it's interesting they're continuing to sort of develop in this space. What happens if we have an event and they don't even mention Stage Manager? Well, it's not going well, is it? (laughs) It's no worse than it's been all summer, but it's not really any better when they're about a month away from shipping. But I would... I don't use it, but I'd argue that it is worse than it was because it used to work in external displays, and now it doesn't. Okay, yeah, okay, fair point. All right, it doesn't crash. It probably doesn't crash as much as it did in Beta One, but it's probably the same place it was in Beta Three. But at least in Beta Three, like talking to you now, I could have your face on one screen and have the show notes and a web browser on the other screen, and now I've got to squish you all into one and have black bars. I'm definitely not getting the benefit of my 5K monitor out of this. That's a real shame. I tell you one thing this has done, this sort of attention that stage managers had, is it's made us forget about the problems of Ventura, which is also due any day now. So the settings app in Ventura was also getting a huge amount of attention for how bad it was. And I haven't heard anyone mention the settings app in Ventura in quite a while. So maybe they're hiding some of the issues, the other issues they've got behind sort of the stage manager drama. Yeah, I think a stage manager has been such a car crash settings pales it into insignificance by comparison so no i think i'm excited for this free format i think it'll be quite cool looking forward to you to trying it out so i just thought i'd give it an honorable mention 
No, good. And and also in the same sort of vein, I actually started using Obsidian a little bit more in the last week because I had a very specific use case for it. I watched a tech YouTuber who does lots of servers and dockers and discussions and things like that. And he showed what he was using Obsidian for. And that was sort of the management and documentation for his servers and software and how he installs things and all the deep linking and stuff I talked about within that and how he does it. And actually it made complete sense for the way I run my little suite of servers here in the house and what I've got installed and whether it's physical or virtual and all the, all the things around it and having the links within Markdown actually works really, really well with that. So Obsidian for a very specific use case has had a bit of a resurgence for me as well. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I, I always think I should do more like with the house. For a long time, I did start putting like PDFs into Apple Books because it sank, it synced synced it synced and i thought that was quite neat and i did do that with manuals and things but i kind of just forgotten about it if i'm honest but I, that, that was kind of my go-to yeah like i say for just household manuals like for the oven or the, the hob or and, and what have you yeah i, I can I, that makes sense i guess i just just bang them all into icloud i went through a period of putting receipts and things i'd scan receipts from work and all that kind of stuff and put that into icloud as well but frankly, these days, you just take a picture of them with your phone. The phone's quite good in realizing if, if it's a receipt and, and off you go from that point of view. So it's these sort of edge cases. And let's face it, if you don't have a manual, as long as you know the serial number of the thing you bought, if you bang it into DuckDuckGo or Google, you're going to find the PDF. So it's kind of you're hiding to nothing, aren't you? Yeah, and that's probably why I've, I've stopped, stopped doing it for household stuff. Yeah, that was a fairly rambling follow-up to the note-taking app. But uh, yeah, that's good. Uh, interesting that they're still pushing forward. Good. The next one I've just linked to was just the MagSafe battery pack. I think you and I briefly touched on it when I was having or suggesting that my battery wasn't lasting that long. We mentioned the Apple MagSafe battery pack. And it just so happens that Apple Insider have put a review up about it a year on and saying that actually for the shape and size that it is, it's actually a pretty good battery pack for to charge your phone. And it would take like a Pro Max up to about 40 to 50%. So I just thought I'd include the link to their review. I thought it was quite well written. It was quite in depth, but it just seemed very timely that they put that review up i think yeah it was last week and just a few days after we we were discussing it here so for anyone who's not familiar with this magsafe was on the iphone 12 onwards i think is when they brought it in and the idea was it was a system to which you could attach multiple things to your phone the simplest of which is what i've been talking about last week which was you get a magsafe puck which is just it's like a chi charger but has magnets built into it as well it will find the right spot on the phone start charging it will start charging once you clunk it into place. And they're quite expensive, actually, about 35 quid for the the actual MagSafe chargers themselves. And then you need a, a plug at the other end of it that's that's capable of putting out about 15 watts, I think, is sort of the... Yeah, you need the Apple 20-watt plug. Yeah, but it'll only charge at 15 to 18 watts or something like that. So there's a whole thing around that. But as well as the MagSafe charger, there's kind of a very small ecosystem of MagSafe stuff as well. And the two things are cases... Uh, sorry, the three things are cases which need the MagSafe inductive coils built onto the back, of which my Kodabi case has and the Apple ones have and a few others do too. It just sort of lets the magnet pass through because Qi chargers and MagSafe chargers are, are not quite as efficient as plugging a cable in. It also gives you things like wallets. It's a thing that Apple announced as well. So you could sort of stick a wallet on the back of your phone by a magnet as well. And these MagSafe battery packs, which are a Small wart on the back of your phone, which will recharge depending on the size of your phone, somewhere between 40 to about 80%, depending on, you know, the battery that's, that's inside of it. So it's just in the, for those instances where you've used an awful lot of battery, you slap this thing on the back, you go on your merry way, and it will, char- it will charge your phone using MagSafe sort of going forwards. I never liked them very much just because 
if I'm going to charge my phone up, I want to charge it all the way up. I don't want to just bang in 20% or 30% or something like that. And then you've got another device you need to charge too. So I, I, my philosophy has always been take the bigger battery. I know you disagree with that, but that's kind of been my approach to it. Um, I just don't really, I don't have a battery if I'm honest. I often just charge off my iPad if I need it for my phone or my watch is a, if I'm not near an outlet. I just think, I think it's quite a good solution that they've come up with though if people want one. And equally, you don't, need to change it when you change your phone because it's worked on the 12 the 12 the 13 and the 14 iPhones because they've all got MagSafe whereas before they did a case per for each phone that came out and this is obviously a much better solution yeah so I think they're about 99 pounds are they yeah about 100 you can get them around the 80 pound mark if you keep an out from like on Amazon and, and yeah. other sales but I guess it doesn't take up an awful lot of space. And it's an option that if you want to stay at all Apple, then you can do it. The one thing I like about MagSafe is when you plug your phone into your MagSafe compatible case, the charging ring on the inside goes the color of the case. I always thought that was quite a nice touch. That was kind of a nice bit of Apple finish, wasn't it? I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, it worked quite well. And seeing the sort of charging, the green charging ring as I slap mine onto the MagSafe charger in the van these days, that it's quite well implemented. I mean, you and I remember MagSafe from back in the day when it when it used to connect laptops. It connects the laptop MacBook Pros again now. But yeah, it, it's nice that MagSafe has been reborn in some way, shape, manner, or form. Well, it's been reborn and it's now on the laptops. It's on the phones. It's quite amazing how they've reused the name for two very different connectors. Typical Apple. It's kind of like with the word Ultra. It means a processor chip in one sense, and then it means a watch in another. So they're quite good at jumbling the names around, aren't they? They are. Anyway, it's not for me. I, I don't want a, something that small, that's that expensive, when I could get something that'll charge my phone seven or eight or nine times and my iPad and my laptop for about 40 quid. So I don't think it's value for money, but you, you, your mileage may vary. Yeah, no, agreed. And I, I don't have any form of battery, so it's not for me either. I just Like I say, just thought it was a good review. And if people are interested, I thought I'd put it in there. Yep. It's in the show notes. Next up was just very briefly when I got my new iPhone, we talked about how we how I transferred the data. And then I've passed my old iPhone to my father-in-law and I had to do the same scenario with him. And I was like, how am I going to do it? And actually I tried the direct transfer where you put two phones next to each other and, and they they wirelessly talked to each other and it transferred all the day and it took about half an hour for him and it was fantastic. Really good experience. He then had to download all the apps afterwards and he was like, why are they, all the apps grayed out? And I was like, that just takes a minute. We quickly got him to do Face ID and he was off to the races. It brought over everything. So I did seem to work well, probably because I wasn't doing it on launch day, if I'm honest. What was interesting, I did send you a photo, was it showed two different times on both phones for when it was going to complete. One said about, I don't know, 19 minutes and the other said 15 minutes. So they were four, four or five minutes out, but it worked really quickly. I just left them going. So I would would recommend that not on launch day. Yeah, there's lots of things not to do on launch day, isn't there? And we all know that progress bars lie. Since the dawn of AT, you know, when you've seen something that this will take five minutes, it's not going to take five minutes. It'll either take seconds at that point or potentially hours. So, you know, again, it's one of those things that you've just got to watch out as you go. I was tempted to move into eSIM, but I then bottled it at the last minute. So I left it. Yeah, you don't want to get into that, do you? When he When he replaces his phone halfway through the year or something like that, and he's like, where's my bloody SIM card? And it's not there. The only reason I was thinking about it, he, he, quite about six months ago, had a phone stolen or he lost a phone and he had to order a new SIM card from O2 and it was a complete nightmare. O2's a carrier in the UK. And I thought, actually, if I maybe get him on the eSIM wagon, if it happens again, you can just re-download the SIM straight from the old carrier. And so I thought this might be easy to remove them out of the equation, but I didn't want it to go wrong. And it was a Saturday and I thought, if it goes wrong, the shop will probably be shut by the time I get there. Yada, yada, yada. I left it as it was. I think that's 
probably quite a good move. Play it safe with family for sure. I might try my wife's first because at least I'm in the same house as her and have my hands on the device. Oh, brave. You might be all right with that. Either brave or stupid. It's one or the other. Yeah, it's, it's a very thin line. I find that. Good. Okay. I think that's it for follow-up for us. Should we move on to news and rumors? Yeah, we actually had more than I thought. Sorry about that. That's all right. That's what the follow-up section's for. So first story, the iPhone 14 Pluses are out and I don't think they've shocked anybody particularly, have they? This has got to be very dull, given that the iPhone 14 is very dull. This has got to just be, oh, it's just slightly bigger, but it's still got the same innards. So I can't imagine it. They're getting any traction on these reviews. Yeah. I, I, this hasn't been a bumper year for the iPhone 14 standard, has it? I think the pros are fine, but the iPhone 14 is, it's not going to win many awards. It's, you know, it's quite expensive for what it is. We've talked about this a million times before. And the 14 Plus is interesting. I think there will be people who wanted a bigger phone, but didn't want to pay all the money that a Pro Max is. And for those people, that'll scratch that itch. But they may be looking at it going, yeah, but I want that Dynamic Island thing. I think this is just the year to tear set for next year. This is all these phones are doing. They're just running the mill phones. Next year's the year. That's when it will start getting interested and the lineup will make sense. Yeah. So if you want a bigger screen, great. If you want slightly more battery, great. I think it's actually got the best battery performance in the line now, unsurprisingly, because it hasn't got the, you know, the big flashy OLED screen, the big flashy high hertz screen to drive ProRes screen. So you're always on. So it probably is the best one in the lineup. Yeah. Well, given the problems we've, we're seeing with iPhone 14 batteries that will hopefully get fixed in software. But yeah, I suppose it's a bigger phone. It is interesting to me that they've given up on the smaller phone. You know, they used to do an iPhone iPhone mini as well. And now they're going plus instead. So clearly not that many people were buying the mini and they're betting. Well, they're not betting the farm. They're nowhere near betting the farm, but they're having a go this time at, to go in for a bigger form factor. I'm not surprised when you're out and around about, you do see people with massive phones. I swear the guy next to me today, well, I was in a cafe, had, I, thought, I can't even imagine how big it was. It looked like an iPad mini, but it was an Android device. It was huge. And I think that's just the way we're going. People want big phones. I I, I don't know. I think actually I'm quite happy with the regular size phone. I've, I've moved back to it. It's perfect for my needs. Yeah. Maybe you had a foldable Samsung. It wasn't a foldable. I did look because a friend of mine's got one at work, which I am impressed with. I can, I like the look of that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, another show perhaps we should talk about the sort of growing scandal of Samsung phones and their exploding batteries, which I, I, okay. I, wa I watched a YouTuber talk about, but it's definitely a thing. And I had an Android Samsung S7, Galaxy S7 test device, which I left in a cupboard at work during the pandemic, and it exploded out of the case as well. So there's something we, explode may be the wrong word, expanded out of the case, which it's quite interesting. I'll send a link for that. And maybe we'll talk about that next week. So, yep. That's, that's well, whilst it. you mentioned that, why don't you mention about the uh, Apple Watch? Because you had that in here. I've just moved it up. Yeah. Okay. So th that's fair enough. So moving on, there's been a report this week of an Apple Watch overheating on a customer's wrist before blowing up and prompting a visit to the emergency room, which you don't hear this an awful lot from Apple, de Apple devices. The, the battery is going mad and them causing burns or anything else like this. In this case, it was an Apple Watch Series 7. He felt it overheat on his wrist, started smoking and exploded. I'd have taken it off at the point it started smoking. I don't know about you. It would be gone. It, it would have left my wrist very quickly. I would, I would have hurled it into somewhere safe, like a bucket of sand or at least out the door of the house as quickly as I could, I think. No, definitely. It would have been straight out the window. Job done. I'll deal with it in a minute. What got me, though, with this is I... I first saw it and thought, oh no, I've got a new Apple Watch. Maybe it's that one. And it just seemed odd to me that it's a watch that's a year old and this is the first we've heard of it. So I wonder whether he'd done something to it or, or what, but it just seemed very odd to me that this has not happened before. Well, 
at the end of the day, it's still a lithium-ion battery, you know, that's in there to whatever thing. And all of them can go wrong, you know, if they've been damaged or if there's been any sort of any breaks in the, in the circuits or anything else like that. I think it's the material in between the sort of ions and things like that that can go wrong. That's what expands in the, in the Samsung things. And as you say, I mean, if it had been damaged in some way, shame or form, we don't know. I mean, chances are we're not going to hear from Apple unless it's a systemic problem that all Series 7s come from. So this will go very quiet very quickly. Like I say, unless there's a battery gate coming for, for Apple Watches. But the phone's been out a year. I wear one on my wrist. It hasn't started smoking so far. I might keep an eye on it. But from the pictures, I mean, you can see the smoke coming from the device. You can see the damage that's on the device later. The little article for anybody who reads it, and it'll be in the show notes, is that he was in, in his house behaving normally in about 70 degrees Fahrenheit, which I think is close to room temperature. That's about 20-odd degrees, isn't it, Fahrenheit? Don't know, I'm not from America. <laughs> People in the UK use Fahrenheit as well. My father sets his car in car temperature in his, in his Audi to Fahrenheit, which just blows my mind. But yeah, I think that there's nothing unusual about that. It's not super hot or anything. So Apple have reclaimed degrees. There you go. Apple have reclaimed the watch. We may like I said, I doubt we'll ever hear anything, but yeah. Interesting. I, I was just gonna say, unlike my iPhone, I've never felt my watch get warm. So yeah, very surprised on this one. I mean, when you read the story, he complained the day before that the watch was a bit hot on his wrist. So he called Apple support and they said they were going to get back to him. And then the next morning, the situation escalates. He wakes up to find the watch hotter, hotter to the touch and the heat had shattered the device's display. Why the hell are you still wearing it? Yeah, there's something not right with this story. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's just interesting. Like you say, these are the exception rather than the rule for Apple products. You don't really hear the, the batteries sort of expanding, exploding or going wrong. The odd one does, but this is a strange situation. Yes, agreed. Shall we move on? Let's move on. So in the same vein as you doing all the app, uh, the Amazon announcements last week, Google had their event this week. So I just thought it might be worth sort of touring through the Google devices that were released uh, in the way that we did for Amazon. So to show we're not entirely biased to Apple stuff, we keep an eye on of what's going on in the rest of the world as well. I think it's a good idea because so, I have no idea what they released or, or spoke about last week. So last week they had their event. They announced a bunch of stuff, but the sort of three primary hardware devices, well, two primary hardware devices and then a, a coming soon. So Google have updated their Pixel series of phones. We talked about the Pixel 6 Pro on this show because I tried one for slightly less than a day by the time I could tolerate it. They've announced a Pixel 7 and a Pixel 7 Pro. So in the same way that Apple have their iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 Pro, the Pro gets a slightly better version of it. It's a bigger screen. It's got new stuff. The Pixel 7 is sort of their standard phone. And then they released a Pixel Watch as well. So the phones are actually not terribly exciting they've changed the design language a little bit they've still got a glass back whereas you had the camera bar across the center of the thing they've sort of highlighted that in metal quite pastel colors across them they've upgraded the processes inside to their tensorflow g2 flow is google's machine learning stuff you can actually download the tensorflow uh, there are tensorflow chips but there's a, a particular language that will run on them as well that you can make use of in Python for natural language processing and image recognition, all sorts of things. So it's interesting they're continuing to lean on that as sort of their own silicon, not using Qualcomm, not using um, some of the stuff, well, obviously not using things Apple uses because that's patented, but it's their own chips and it's quite well regarded. You know, it's not as quick as the, as the Apple stuff particularly, but you know, there it is. So it's very similar to the 7. It's got this new processor. It's got the same screen size as the one that went before. It's got the same panel. It's a 90 hertz OLED that's on it and has a very slightly smaller battery. I think that's always quite unusual when phone companies go down a size. I don't think the Pixel is particularly well regarded for its battery. So to, to knock it down a little bit is interesting. Um, 
The Pixel 7 Pro, which is a little bit bigger, is 120 hertz screen, so the same as the iPhone, and that throttles all the way down to 10 hertz in the same way that my iPhone 12, does, 12 Pro does, but not as good as yours. 50 megapixel camera and this same Tensor G2 chip. The thing pixels are known for more than anything really is their computational photography though. So what they're capable of doing with, you know, a fifth, this a lens this good on the camera or a display, yeah, it's a lens, isn't it? This good in the camera. Should be quite interesting with time to do 50 hertz on that and then put in there for computational stuff. So that's quite exciting, I think. Yeah, it definitely looks like they've done some good stuff. A couple of things I noticed is they've got a 50 megapixel maintenance, as you said, but they've also got a 48 megapixel telephoto zoom lens, which is quite a lot of pixels whether it takes a good photo is an, obviously another question i hate the camera bar i don't like what apple do with the camera square and they don't like the camera bar either I, d I don't know there are some good designs out there where they do arrange cameras nicely but i don't think either apple or google are doing a fantastic job if i'm honest i just i don't know it just doesn't look neither neither look great to, in, in my eyes and interesting they've got a new macro focus mode so it sounds a bit similar to what Apple are doing there as well. And then what, what was I just reading now? They've also added a security and privacy menu in the OS, which sounds very akin to Apple. And I think they've even used the same wording. So it was, that was quite interesting. Yeah, it looks like a in the same way that the 14 is an evolutionary update of the 13, I'd say this looks like an evolutionary update of the 6. You know, they've, they've updated all the things they need to do, tightened up the camera, sorted out some bits and pieces. And, and if you're in that ecosystem, I'm sure it's a fairly sensible phone to buy. There were issues with the software in the early 6s when they came along, all sorts of bugs that were taking ages to get fixed, etc., etc. So, you know, with an Apple user's hat on, you, you'd think, well, it's an interesting phone. Cameras are in parity, really. Google software slightly better in some areas. Apple software slightly better in others. Uh, you know, I think if you're in that ecosystem, then it's it's a solid device, probably. Yeah, it, it does look good. I mean, it looks very Apple-esque hardware anyway with the buttons. They're, they're all rounded. And the design, you know, if you took the camera bar off, it, it looks like an iPhone 8 or an iPhone 7, the, the, when I'm looking at the regular one, it's just white and it's got some buttons on it. It's a bit, I don't know, it's a shame that all the everybody's ended up with the same sort of design with two slabs of glass and and a bar of soap, basically. Yeah, and probably as slippery as one as well. I mean, it's interesting that they're still going with a Touch ID type sensor, although they do allow a form of face unlock using the front-facing camera. I don't think it's quite as secure as Face ID is, but, you know, maybe I've been brainwashed in by apple into thinking that with the sort of the, the, the this what well, the capabilities that we've got since the first version of, the, of this in the iphone 10 uh, it certainly wasn't as good i know the early versions of face unlock and android you could decoy with a picture so uh, i'm sure it's got a lot better than that these days but yeah fairly interesting devices i guess in the sense of solid updates and we've said before i think it's good that google pushes them like this because apple needs competition they're dressed on their laurels Oh, completely agree. And actually, looking at the front of the Pro that's in the link, it's got very thin black borders on the outside, which are much thinner than the iPhones. It's got a very small cutout for a camera. So that, I think that is quite interesting. Yep, I agree. So, yeah, solid devices. I guess we'll have to wait for the reviews of them. They're only in, still in previews. They're not actually released yet. And then the thing, they haven't increased the prices. So they're the same prices that whatever they were last year, I think say $199 or something like that. No, no, no details in pricing in the UK as far as I'm aware yet. But yeah, the f big phone companies not putting up the prices of things despite the, the cost of living crisis, which is affecting more than the UK. So I thought that was quite interesting too. I agreed. I think, think it is good they're holding the price. 
Good. And then the third device, well, the second device that they announced was a Pixel Watch. So Google, I don't think, have done their own watch before. They've had other, they've licensed the Google Wear operating system that runs the watches to other, so like Fossil, for example, were making watches. Samsung are famous for making them. Huawei and others have made Google Watch, Google Wear watches too. I actually quite like the look of this. In the, in the fact that it's a rounded, normal-looking watch. It's a bit chonkier than your, your, your normal watch, but they've stuck to this sort of, well, we can do rounded interfaces. And it does look very like, you know, the, the, the interface when you sort of use the app selector and all the rest of it, it looks very like an Apple Watch. You've got to say with a, scroll, a, thing, a list of things you can scroll through, app you want to run on it. And the integration with Fitbit software on this is probably quite crucial for lots of people. A lot of people like the Fitbit hardware, they continue to use the software and integrating it with Google. It just makes sense for that purchase that they brought that in there. Yeah, no, I think it does make sense. I'm a bit mixed on the design, if I'm honest, because I saw a, sh a shot of it scrolling through a list. And actually, I don't think it looked very good on the rounded face. And it looked like it had quite a big sort of black, black border around it. So I'm a bit mixed on it. I quite like that they're doing something. I do like they're doing something different because it would have been very easy for them. Like I was just comparing the phone for the design of the watch to be a just a round rectangle like we've got so i do like they've done something different it just found felt to me like the black borders were still massive but i get this is probably their first pass of it and again the apple the straps on it look like they've been lift, lifted straight off the apple watch it's i don't know it's a bit disappointing in a way that people aren't coming up with some of their own stuff all they've done here is take an apple watch and give it a rounded screen well to be fair to them, they've done the rounded thing, you know, for a, for a long time, and a lot of people prefer a round watch face to the square one. I mean, the, the 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 squared rectangle that we have on all our devices is quite recognisable as an Apple Watch, even through the Apple Watch Ultra that you've got. So, people like a rounded off thing, and I I'm, I'm okay with it. If you want to display an analog watch face, I'd say a round watch is probably a better way to go than the squared off one. Uh, in terms of other things, I agree with you. The border is quite, the bezel is quite dramatic. And, you know, there's a couple of videos of it with the shift to camera. And you can see just how big that bezel is. It's certainly not blinking, you'll miss it. It's sort of a domed circle. So it looks a bit narrower on your wrist as it comes up towards the watch face. It has an always-on display. It's got SPO2, blood oxygen sensor in the same way the Apple Watch does. It's got ECG sensors, but they actually sample more than the Apple Watch one. So when you're in exercise mode, it's sampling every second, which I think that, you know, the Apple Watch is every 10 seconds or something like that. So it's different. So that's quite good. It's picking up the ECG a little more. Has an accelerometer, has an altimeter, has ambient light sensor, has a compass, has a gyroscope, which are sort of table stakes now at this point, I guess. Nothing about a thermometer. And Google's going to add support for fall detection later this year. So again, it's going to push the Apple Watch a little bit, isn't it? So decent competition for that. And if you're in the Google ecosystem or you're in the Fitbit ecosystem, for $349, I think it's a bit of a no-brainer if you're in that sort of space. Yeah, so I'd agree with you on the space thing. The bezel, the, um, yeah, I can't make my mind up on the bezels. If you look at the video, it goes about four minutes and 16 seconds. You can scroll through the list of apps on it. And it just doesn't like a great, it looks like it'd be really annoying because you, you can't really fit anything on the screen. That that That's my concern with it. I do just, yeah, it just makes me wonder how all the designs look, look like something Apple's made. This is what you could have imagined the Apple Watch 1 looking like, I think. Yeah, to be fair. Yeah. Go on, sorry. Go on. Oh. Uh, I still can't remember. I kind, of, I kind of agree with you on the rounded screen as well, having the rounded dial, because a lot of watches have round screens. I just don't know if it's right for a computer on your wrist. I think it's, I wonder whether it's too much for a compromised device. I think it's good that the market offers the choice. You know, there are some people I don't think that would consider putting a massive big square thing on the on their wrist. So 
uh, you know, people's watch, people's wrist sizes being what they are, I think it's quite nice that they can, you know, choose something that might suit them a little better. Because let's face it, for most people, a watch is a fashion item as much as anything else. You and I have got used to having it for a wallet, for our car keys, for, you know, whatever else, for the fitness elements of it. Other people, it's just something pretty they want to put on the wrist. And as an addenda, it does a little bit of fitness stuff and things for them. So I don't think it hurts them necessarily having a a different design to what Apple do in their watches. No, true, true. All right. Yeah, you've convinced me. Fair enough. Thank you. Okay, so that's it for the watch. They also pre-announced a Pixel tablet. Now, Google have dabbled with tablets before. and There was a Chrome tab, I think it was called, the last one, that was a horrendous amount of money. It was 1,200 quid or something like that. And then you had to buy a keyboard and then you had to buy a pen for it. And it was more expensive than an iPad. And because of the apps on uh, Android ecosystem not taking advantage of screen in the same way that uh, Apple have got sorted it, it wasn't as good a, uh, a solution. And it had some sort of integration with sort of the Chrome OS as well. It was kind of a schizophrenic device. And Google have killed it, as they tend to do for products that don't do very well, which is sort of a theme that we've talked about repeatedly on this show, actually. But this Pixel tablet might be interesting. So Google has a range of home products as well in Nest. They have their Nest hubs and all the rest of it, where you can have what they're effectively sort of pitching as kitchen top devices. So you could have a recipe or a to-do list or something like that running, and you could have YouTube in the corner on it going on. And it looks to me, because I haven't announced a price for this device yet, that this is more in that vein than in the high-end tablet vein, just because they showed it with a stand and the idea was you could just pick your tablet up off the stand when you're cooking, you're finished cooking, you're waiting for potatoes to boil or your pie to bake and walk away and you can still use it as a tablet in that instance. I think that's quite an interesting way to go. Yeah, it does certainly look like they're leaning a lot more into the consumer space like a regular iPad. Again, the design looks very much like an iPad. It's looking quite interesting. I, I do give you that. And I, I like this this look of the stand. And that's the kind of thing I want in my shed. I just want a stand like that. And I keep giving the magnetic ones the side eye, but I'm waiting just for stage manager finish, see what Apple brings out. But you can get a magnetic stand and you just stick your iPad on it. And that would be fantastic because I'm taking mine in and out all the time. I've just got these clippy stands. So no, I think it looks good. I've, this, to me, I'm much more impressed with this, I think, than I am with the watch that they're doing. The hardware looks quite nice, but it does look very consumery. You know, the picture that we've got in the in the links is lady sat on the sofa. So I, I think it looks good. Weirdly, it looks like it's got the smart connector on the back off the back of my iPad underneath the G logo. It's got four round dots, exactly the same as Apple's. It does look like it could be an Apple device if, if Apple made one with a, a sort of plastic back on it. Very interesting. I was at a conference this week and I looked over and somebody had a what I thought was an iPad, but they were using a silver pencil on it. And I was like, Apple don't make a silver pencil. Then I realized they're writing on an Android Samsung uh, tablet, but it, the hardware design looked exactly like my iPad. It looked like the 11-inch iPad Pro. Yeah, and I guess it makes sense. There's only so many hardware device, device sort of designs you can have for a, you know, a computer in your hand that you pick up and walk around with. Microsoft Surfaces and, and those ilks are quite similar as well, really. So it makes sense the hardware is going to become much of much as I'm with you on this. If it's cheap enough, it's quite an interesting device. If they release this at you know, less than 400 quid, let's say, and it comes with a charging stand dock thing that's also a speaker, you know, that people will use in their kitchens or, you know, in their sheds or wherever it is, that actually becomes quite an interesting device because you can't use an iPad as a cooking device. A, it's really expensive. B, you've got to buy that additional stand you're talking about. And C, you can't run multiple timers. I didn't talk about the timer thing. I was using my iPad in the kitchen earlier, but I've obviously got the, the magic keyboard thing with it. So I just opened up like a laptop and popped it on the counter. But I'd love a little 
you know magnetic stand to stick it on in there that kind of looked like it would fit in the kitchen whereas to be fair i think that one looks very nice so yeah curious to see when this comes out i'd, I'd certainly be a lot more interested in this yeah i'm with you and who knows you know when we see the other shoe drop for we keep talking about it the matter thing when you have got google's their own wi-fi connectors got their own doorbells they've got the smoke alarms they've got nest thermostats and all the rest of it that ecosystem come together that could be managed by something like this which the nest devices already can to a certain extent you know, maybe this is the, a final piece in the puzzle for them to bring it all together. Yeah, no, that, that could all work. And I, I'm assuming we're going to find out a bit more about Matter again at this October event because they've said Matter is coming in 16.1. Yeah. So there we go. That was all I had on Google updates. But it, it's interesting that they do keep pushing forward. And certainly the Pixel is something they haven't dropped yet as a, as a concept of devices, a line of devices. So well done, Google, I guess. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I, th- I do think the hardware looks good. It certainly looks well made. It looks looks like very nice, nice equipment. And I guess the watch they've gone their own way, the tablet and the phone, it looks very similar to what Apple's releasing. Yeah, rounded rectangles all round, you know, with plastic or glass backs. It's the way phones and tablets have looked for quite a while now, isn't it? Although, have we ever had a plastic back type pad? I don't think we have. They're all metal or glass, aren't they? Yes, and on that note, the iPhone 5C went obsolete this week or next week. Oh, I like my 5C. I never had one, but I always wanted one because it looked amazing. Yeah, they were sort of really vibrant colours, and that's something Apple's missing. And to be fair to Google, this white tablet that's demonstrated here, it looks like a really nice white. It's not muddy or a starlight or something like that. It's as Apple might have said back in the day, and in fact, I think they did. It's unapologetically plastic, you know? Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I, I think it looks good. Yeah. Okay, next up then, we've got stage manager on the iPod. iPad is too important to get wrong. How do you feel yeah, about that? Keep, but they keep getting it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought this was quite an interesting article. It, it's written by Jason Snell, and it's from Macworld rather than you know Six Colors or his, his own website or anything like that. It's good we're giving we're giving shows to all, all, everybody else's work at the moment, but we're just those generous kind of guys. How, so, just so the basic concept of this is: this is a new new paradigm for the iPad. Really, it's sort of moving it along, and it's 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 the next stage of evolution from just a a consumption device into what you've been using it for and people like Viticci and obviously Jason Snell to, to a production device where or at least it can live in that world adequately with the, with the max of this world. Do you think he's right? Yeah, I love it. I don't want to say. I think, it's, I think it is the future. When they first announced it and they said about overlapping windows, I was like, well, I don't really want overlapping windows. That's what I quite liked about the iPad. I'm still not, would be happy. I think they've made a slight misstep. When they put mouse support on the ipad they didn't just take what they had on the mac they implemented it in their own way and it was renowned as being fantastic and it was worked straight out of the gate and i think they should have done window in in a slightly more ipad-y way rather than just doing what the mac does i love the concept that i can have lots of windows and i can do extended monitored support with one external screen i think that's all fantastic for me i am not enjoying the overlapping windows the bugs they've given me some features and they've taken them away again and it feels like it needed longer to bake, but they you'd like to think they'd be working on this for a long, long time. But yeah. it doesn't always feel that way. Yeah, I think my problem with it is is they don't stop doing any of the other bits and pieces. So you can still do slide overs, you can still do side by side. You get, they just keep adding new things. You get the impression that none of the ability to add more than one, sorry, the ability to run more than one app at a time has sort of really stuck with the, the great public that make use of the iPad. And Stage Manager to me, 
strikes me as something that they got working on the Mac once and they thought, oh, maybe we can retrofit that into the iPad and we'll add yet another way of potentially working with it or it's just something we can take advantage of the M1 chips or however they got there. And it is a bit half-baked and they're not they're not pursuing a clear vision like they might have done once upon a time with you know a hardware product or a software product. Where, no, this is the way it is and Steve would have told us the way that it wanted to be. You know, and this isn't that. It's only you can do a bit of that, or maybe you can do a bit of the other, or you could try a bit of this. It's not consistent. Do you not think the Mac's getting like this? Like you've got Stage Manager on the Mac, you've got full screen apps on the Mac, you've got just using the Mac in the in the regular way, you've got virtual desktops on the Mac, you've got all the expose stuff. So I think the Mac's got a bit of this and you can have it your way. I'll be honest, since I've started using iPad OS 16, I have not turned off Stage Manager. I've always used it. That's fine, but the Mac's a computer. And various windowing systems have been available for a computer for a very long time. So be it Windows or Linux or KDE or GNOME or, you know, Mac OS or virtual desktops or whatever, you can find the paradigm that works for you because it's a complicated device that, you know, it, it will sort of hint in a direction you could work, but somebody will write a program to make it work in the old way if you don't like that. So I'm fine with a Mac being slightly confused to a certain extent. The iPad is meant to be a more... I keep using the word consistent, but it's consistent device where it has a continuous design language that really does just work from, from, from out of the door because you can't and you never have the flexibility that you've had with a full-on computer. So I, it just feels a bit half-assed. They need to get their whole ass in the chair, basically. You know, Maybe they knew it didn't work and therefore they've had to keep slide over because they weren't fully committed to it. And maybe that's the problem. Could be. That might be it. And we better move on because we're going to be a long show when we've got, got to the main show. Yeah, it's a good article. It's a bit on the long side for a Macworld article, but I do think it's worth a read of anybody who's interested in you know, the, the, the failings and the potential of Stage Manager, I think it's worth having a read. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm leaning more into potential of it, but it, I think it will be good. They just need to keep going. And they, like you said, they probably need more of a, we're going to fully commit to it rather than we're going to launch it alongside something. Fair. Okay. Well, the next two stories are, are going to be quite quick. So the first one is that Apple is now calling its notebooks laptops, which I've never called any of my Apple devices a notebook. Have you? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think I ever really think about it. No, I probably have called them laptops. I kind of even refer to my iPad as my laptop sometimes just because people just get confused for you go, no, I don't have a laptop. I've got an iPad. So I don't know. It seems an odd one. This. Do you think this is in preparation for launching something? No, I just think they've decided that the rest of the world actually calls them laptops and they've been some sort of stalwart. You get them on the stage saying our greatest line of notebooks ever. Nobody calls a notebook a notebook. It's a laptop, particularly in the UK. Maybe Americans are slightly different, but uh, it's a laptop. They've changed the branding across all their websites and all their media to call them laptops. The laptops, we can move on. They're not going to start calling out the iPad a notebook or launch an equivalent Amazon Kindle scribe thing. It would make more sense that an iPad was a notebook than a laptop was a laptop, I guess. But we shall see, I suppose. I don't think we need to dwell on it. Let's just see what drops. You know. Agreed. Let's move on. Moving on. Another quick one. We've talked about this a few times on this show, and that was the fact that EU were in consultation about forcing device manufacturers from 2024 to adopt USB-C. Ding. Still haven't got a ding. Rather than lightning. And they've done that. They, they voted on it. It's going to be a thing. All phone manufacturers by the end of 2024 will be required to have USB-C or whatever the next appropriate standard is. I mean, it is written into the law that doesn't it's not limiting innovation that you can only use USB-C from now on. It's when there's a critical mass, you move on to the next thing. But they've decided USB-C is a thing, stop e-waste, etc., etc., etc. And all manufacturers will be required to have a USB-C port. 
if you have all on USB-C though, how do you then, and you have to ship it, how are you going to get critical mass to the next USB-D standard, for example? Well, it's a different connector. I don't know, but who knows if there will even be a connector. It might be a wireless standard like MagSafe, you know, in, in the next iteration of this. And we won't go down the road of, of thinking about, well, maybe Apple will just put a phone MagSafe in it because that's not in breach of the law then. But I, I, I firmly believe we will get a USB-C iPhone, you know, before we get a purely MagSafe one. And it would be nice if it was in next year's phone and not the 2024 phone. 10 quid, it'll go in the Pro next year and then fill it down the year after. Entirely possible. I wouldn't argue against you. Yeah, agreed. I would like, as much as I don't really use USB-C on my iPhone, it would be great when you're away. Yeah. Just use I mean, we'll still have it on our keyboards or AirPods and, you know, our trackpads and all that, all those other devices that still have lightning, but they can gradually sort of march away from that as well. And just to throw out a little bit of thought to it, I know there's lots of people who are quite keen on USB-C, but don't like the fact that it's been mandated by government, which it is in this case. I have a certain amount of sympathy for that, but you do get the impression that Apple are really dragging their feet on this one. Yeah, I, I think they needed this just to go, look, Lightning is your own thing. It's a pain in the what's it. Get off it. They did it with the iPad Pro. They've just taken too long to do everything else. They should have had a line in the sand. Going, look, we're going to go to USB-C. Everything we release from 22 onwards is going to be USB-C. Any new product. I don't get why they've dragged their heels so much. This would have been a perfect year to do it, i got to say. you know, With the iPhone 14 being as dull as it is and the iPhone 14 Pro being slightly more interesting, this would have been the year to do it, I would have thought. But I guess we'll see. New AirPods that will stay around for two years. Yeah. No deal. Anyway, there we are. And the other person that agrees that it's time to get this done is Tony Fidel. We've talked about Tony Fidel on this show before. Inventor of a variety of things, but certainly known for the iPod as much as anything else. And Tony Fidel sees the the EU requirement for USB-C iPhone as the right thing to do because he thinks Apple is a monopoly and, you know, you do need a little bit of governmental control over that kind of stuff. So I put a little link for that in the show notes as well. But it is interesting that even somebody like that is now weighing and going, come on. I really must get on and finish reading his book. <laughs> He's still not finished his book. I've got a lot of books on the go at the moment. I mean, the other thing about Tony Fidel is he was one of the people that was involved with the Made for iPhone program or the Made for iPod program as it was at that time. So he's got a decent amount of insight about connectors and things like that. And if he's saying USB-C is the way to go, well, you know, maybe USB-C might be the way to go. He's a hardware guy. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, we can blame him for the 30-pin connector, but they'd have retired that, and it's time to retire lightning. It's been 10 years, so move on. Agreed. Good. I thought I told you to be quick with that one. And that'll do us for news, unless there's any other stories we've missed. Not that I'm aware of. I think they're the interesting ones. Good. Okay. Media. Might be a short media section this week as well. Yeah, I've been away a lot, so I've watched nothing since you and I spoke, apart from one show in particular which i'll cover at the end all right we'll talk about that at the end so i have just continued to watch the ones that were on there i had hoped to watch the film bullet train with brad pitt but i didn't get round to it so maybe i will get around to it in the next week or so i want to highlight she hulk a little bit so this is a story about a female superhero of which there haven't been many so far they sort of had to be shoved out the door to do the black widow movie when they did that and that was after many many years of all the various boys that have been made things off so it was great that they finally got around to doing a, a female first superhero show and they're definitely tackling some of the big issues in this one for the misogyny sort of casual misogyny that uh, women face all the time in this world is sort of been front and center in this show from the outset and this time they've got into the revenge porn side of things which i think is quite a brave thing to do for you know light and frothy seemingly superhero show on disney plus has thought of us i'd say for the younger end of the market although in the uk certainly they've got more adult things too 
I just think it's a brave thing to do. It's very well handled so far. It was sort of the cliffhanger of this episode, so we'll see where it goes. But it throws another thing into the mix that, you know, they are being quite thoughtful about this from time to time, Marvel, and, and are sort of pushing forward some of that. So I was just really impressed. You know, it, it's quite uncomfortably done in one sense, but you got to give them kudos for tackling something like this. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you here. I always thought the Marvel stuff is more family entertainment, but I guess they've got to branch out at some point. And it is interesting that they're doing revenge porn is a, a topic, but I'm so behind on the Marvel stuff, I'm probably not the best person to comment. No, but I, I mean, just societally, I think it's important that these things are tackled and covered because, you know, that again misogyny being what it is and you know you know as two middle-aged white guys talking about this kind of stuff we may not be the best place people to sort of comment on all the bits of it but i think that it is important that these things are highlighted and you know uh, as the father of two daughters and all the rest of it you know i I, i'd like to see a bit more equality in all levels and seeing it start to come forward in something like this i think is it's just important that they do it and that Younger people that watch it, men that watch it, realize what an issue this is for for some people, and I think it's, I'm, I'm glad that they're tackling it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm glad they are doing it. I'm just surprised it's in Marvel, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. On on a slightly less highfalutin or or uh, possibly important note, Andor is still very good. Also on Disney Plus, it's the sort of spy story leading up to Rogue One, as we've talked about before. There's a character in that who is one of the comedians or artists in Taskmaster, which may make a, a relevant link onto our next link. Doc Brown is in it as one of the Imperial Security Bureau officers. I sat there going, I know that guy, I know that guy. Oh, it's Doc Brown from Taskmaster. So that was nice. The show remains very, very good as well. They do some really odd place- placements of stopping where the show stops, you know, the cliffhanger for the next one. It's like you think, it's definitely a bit more Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy than Rogue One, for sure. And I am still quite enjoying it. It's short, snappy television, very character-based. I don't think there was a single war in the Star Wars, and there hasn't been so far. It's all talking about it rather than doing anything, and I appreciate the change of pace. Yes, so I've watched a couple of Andor's previous weeks. I thought they are very good. I just haven't circled back to, to carry on watching any more in the Harper. I'm surprised he's in it. I didn't know who Doc Brown was until I watched Taskmaster. I don't know how he's come up with his name, but he's actually linked to Doc Brown out of Back to the Future. I have no idea. born Benjamin Har- Harvey Bailey Smith. So <laughs> it's not like it's an obvious name for him, but there you go. So, okay, I must get on and watch it because there's quite a few people popping up in Andor, I think. But I have, since you and I spoke last week, watched an enormous amount of Taskmaster. I'm on to series three at the moment. So I've watched all of series one, all of series two. The two episodes have come out of series 14. Is it 14 we're on now? Yep. And I'm now on series three. And I'm getting there. I mean, I'm really enjoying it. It's fantastic. And the comedians are all very good. The lineup they have, the the tasks they have to do, brilliant. It's And it is truly funny. You know, it, it's so well done and it just works. So I'm very much enjoying it and quite pleased. I've got another 10 or so seasons to go. Yeah. When you really sort of get into it and you see all what you've got stretched out in front of you, you almost relish the fact you've got so much TV to watch because... As you say, it is extremely well done humour. It's at nobody's expense, particularly. You know, it's it's very equal. <laughs> yeah, it's not crass. It's not rude. It's just good, honest humour bit of banter. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you. It's very well done. It's very funny. There is a, I have discovered in later years, a slight Cambridge bias to it. A lot of the comedians have been through Footlights and all the rest of it in Cambridge or went to Cambridge at some point. But I can even forgive them for that because they even take the mickey out of that from time to time too. So no, it's very well done. 
Yeah, that, yeah, really good. And Dave Gorman's actually appeared in season three, and I haven't seen him on anything for a long time. And I used to really enjoy him. So no, I think it, I think it's gonna be good. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to. I've got ten seasons I've never seen, so that, that should keep me busy throughout the winter. I'm gonna circle back. According to Wikipedia, Doc Brown was his nickname at school, after named after the scientist in Back to the Future because I was a gangly and geeky teen. So that's why it's called Doc Brown. Uh, okay, there you go. Then. Makes sense. It's just every time I heard it, I just thought Back to the Future. He's very good in it as well. Yep. And that's it for media. Uh, yeah, a short one. Like very I say, short I've been one. away. It's going to be a short show this week, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You've, your listeners can get a bit of your valuable time to uh, to go and do other things. Games. I've played nothing other than threes on my phone. So over to you. <laughs> yeah, I've only got one thing I've talked to talk about this week, actually. I, I could stretch it to two if I really pushed it, but it's been the Steam Next Fest, uh, which they seem to do every six months. I, there was something similar when I was talking about Hellsinger when it came out in Vita and Anger Footman about five months ago, I think. This is a demo for a game called Capes, which appeals to me. If you like a little bit of XCOM, which I very much do, that sort of turn-based strategy, not in the real-time strategy way, but you make a move and you wait for the opposing, or the AI in this case, to, to make a move against you. The characters you control have particular powers or, or or whatever. So you make a move, you wait for them to make a move, and it's a, you know, it's a turn-based strategy. This appealed to me. It's set in a world where supervillains have taken over a city. The superheroes are underground and you know trying to come back a bit like The Incredibles in that sense. And your idea is to build up your superhero team from nothing while trying to stay out of the way of the supervillains that control all the things in a very XCOM-like way. I haven't played an awful lot of it, but I downloaded the demo and took a couple of turns quite impressed actually i like xcom i like this it's a bit clunky you can tell it's a demo the graphics are very stylized it's uh, it does look like a superhero type thing and again you can see they've very much been influenced by the incredibles so i thought that was pretty good actually and i'd report back that keep an eye out for when the proper game comes out yeah it does look good i'm never any good at turn-based games the only thing i'd say if it's inspired by incredibles the rules in the incredibles are no capes <laughs> so a bit interesting they call it capes well, it's it's quite an interesting concept, I've got to say. The second thing which I need to talk about is I actually bought the new Monkey Island game. Did you play Monkey Island back in the day? I played a little bit. I was not a huge point-and-click person other than the whatever the motorbike one. The, um, full Throttle. Full Throttle, which was stunning. That, was, that, that probably got me into it. I nearly bought Return to Monkey Island on the Switch because I saw it pop up. It wasn't a lot of money, but I thought I haven't got time to play it, so I didn't, didn't buy it. Is, it. is it worth it? I haven't played enough of it to decide, really. It feels very Monkey Island, you know, the humor's there. I quite like the the comic style of it. You're playing, if you know the history of Monkey Island at all, Guybrush, Guybrush Threepwood's son in this one. Looks very like Guybrush, it must be said. It's quite funny, the jokes are okay. I've only done a couple of, well, the sort of, you sort of as you travel around the map a little bit, I've only really just started exploring the map and clicking around a little bit. I haven't had a huge amount of time to focus on it, but... I've had a lot of fun with it. I will revisit it. It's It sort of hits my funny bone quite well anyway. And, and the history of the Monkey Island games is good for me. Fair enough. I'm, I might give it a go. Maybe I'll wait for it to be on sale. Nintendo are good at doing a sale. And I think it'd be quite a good game to play on the Switch. I think it's perfect for the Switch. I was going to try and download it on my, on my, uh, my Steam Deck as well. I might get around to it. It's been quite nice to have it on the big screen, clicking around and just enjoying all the big art, actually. Yeah, I still bought a Steam Deck. Still in bought Steam Deck. You can they're freely available now. You don't need to go on a waiting list. They'll send you one almost straight away. Really? Really? They managed to ship something like a million units in the last six weeks or something. They've really sort of sorted out the production problems. So they're good to go at this stage. Maybe don't do it while we're on the on the show, Chris. Wait till the show's at the end and then you can have your credit card for stretch into that. 
my credit card is in a sore space at the moment because I might have bought a phone and my watch and a holiday. So I'm not sure I need to go and buy a, another gadget. Well, I'd say you need a Steam Deck to take on holiday. On that note, how's your play date? Play date is awesome. I was just putting Pac-Man on it earlier. And I do like the way you log into the web browser, you add a game, and then your, your play date can download it and you can force it to go and check. It is quite cool. But you're not the other monthly games or the weekly games coming out of, of any of them, you know, sort of caught your attention. Or? I've played nothing this week. Okay, fair enough. I won't belabor the point. Yeah, maybe don't get the Steam Deck. Play a couple of your Playdate games instead. <laughs> yeah, there is that. I, that's the thing, and I've got my Switch as well. I've got loads of games. I got my PlayStation Five, so I don't know if I need another console. Fair enough. Okay, moving on. Main show. And again, I don't think we're going to go very long here particularly, but there was a story in the news this week about AirTags and a particular use of AirTags that made me just think, well, do people know what AirTags are? Do you use them? Do I use them? And just sort of go through that because we talk about all the other bits of Apple hardware we've got. So I'll do my explainer in chief bit and then you can tell me if you've got any. So AirTags are little, well, Bluetooth Wi-Fi discs effectively that you can pop in a bag or on a key or something like that that help you locate them. And the way they work is, if you're in your house or something like that, you pair them with your phone, you pair them with your iCloud account, actually, not just your phone. But the way one of the ways you can find them is with your phone. It roughly knows where they are if you're in Bluetooth range and it uses the, is it the H1 chip? I think it's the H1 chip. Can't remember. There's, go on. It's a U1. U1. They have a U1 chip in them, which is also what's in, in your phone. And it can very precisely locate them in your house. So rather than it just chirping and saying, so you know it's within 20 meters of you or something, you can actually track them around the house and a pointer comes up on your iPhone. It'll take you to them. You're, you know, you're 10 feet away, five feet away, two feet away. Oh, there you are. It's right in front of you. And it works really well, actually. So if you're in the habit of losing your keys, or your bag or something like that, or you can put it around your pet in some cases, there you go. The sort of real value add to them, though, is that if anybody goes near them with an iPhone, if you drop your keys on the beach, it'll remember where they were and, and take you in that direction. So considering the amount of people that have iPhones, that works really well for devices that go missing. I think that explains what they are. I have four of them on a variety of devices, mostly keys and one in my rucksack in case that goes astray. Have you got any? I don't have any, and I'm amazed I don't have any because I normally like a bit of tech. So I went to get one of these, and then I thought, I've stopped using my car keys. I don't really have a wallet anymore. I could probably put one in my rucksack. might be useful, but normally that's got an iPad in it. So I just haven't bothered getting one if i'm honest so i just couldn't really think of anything i wanted to do with it and then when and the battery will run out after a year and i thought i just don't i don't know i just thought i don't really need one i used to have a tile for a short period of time which is exactly the same well not exactly the same it's a for a, a pre-runner to this and i i put up my keys but i've never used it never once checked for it so that's why i haven't got one i think they are cool i think they're well designed I think the some of the key rings you can get to hold them are very expensive for what they what they're holding. I think Apple have done a good job of implementing it. They seem to have taken a long time to come out because they've been rumored and they pre-released for a long, long, long time. And apparently they were already made, but they weren't shipping them. And they've had a few ups and downs, haven't they? Of you could use them as a tracker with your partner in in her car or his car, or and they're worried about all of that. And I'm quite calm about it because it's no different to me. You know, in a car you could hide a phone quite easily. So I'm I'm. I think people are looking at it in the wrong way. I guess these are a lot cheaper and a lot more accessible. But no, I haven't used them, but I think they're kind of cool, but just haven't found a need. So we have, you know, with, you know, my eldest daughter and her car keys, that was definitely something I wanted for them because she has a habit of just dropping things here, there and everywhere. So I have actually used them for the for the purpose to which they're intended. 
And when I was traveling, particularly on planes and things like that, the reason I put it in my rucksack is in case somebody lifts your rucksack. And having an iPad in your rucksack when you're in Spain, probably not terribly useful to you, frankly, you know, until it hits another Wi-Fi network. So having them for something like that's not bad. Cellular. Yeah, okay. It's quite an expensive device to rely on. Wouldn't you want something that's like 20 quid to help you find your more expensive device? No, I, I, I don't disagree with that, but I do have a cellular iPad and I do have a cellular but is it activated if you're abroad yeah okay fair enough anyway that that's why i've got them and i have like i say i have used them they can be slightly annoying in that there is no family sharing on them and we'll talk about the sort of other privacy implications in a minute in a minute but the one of my daughter's keys is on her icloud account so when i'd get in the car with her and we'd drive somewhere it would warn both of us well, it would warn me that there was an AirPad, AirTag traveling with me. And I, do I want to keep tracking it? Do, am I aware? So that's the privacy thing that's been built into. It's to notify people that are being tracked without their awareness that, that you know, this, Air, this AirTag is moving with you. Which I, I see that, but in many cases, surely you'd want the family sharing thing. Now, particularly now they've got the emergency thing to stop everything tracking you and, you know, your, your potentially abusive partner sending you texts and all the rest of it. This should be part of that as well. If there are air tags, it becomes disassociated from the account. But in the meantime, they should be able to track. Your AirPods do exactly the same because I was with a, another parent at the football pitch today and he goes, why do I keep getting this message on my iPhone that my AirPods are tracking me? Because they're his AirPods. And I said, oh, you know, this... They do this in case, like, I put my AirPods in your bag and I could track track where you where you're going. And I guess, especially with the AirPods you've got, where you've got the upgraded case, it's just like an AirTag, isn't it? In your in the AirPods case, in essence. Yeah, it's exactly like an AirTag, which is quite useful. And you know, there's there's definitely good features about them. Like, they can learn where you go. So, if I go to work, I've got my AirPods and I've got an AirTag in my bag. I can leave that in my office and go across campus to get a sandwich, and it doesn't go. You've left your stuff behind, you know. Or you can tell it to. So if you do walk out your office without your AirPods and you really wanted to have them, the fact that you get only a minute away and it goes, you've left your thing behind you is actually quite a useful thing to remind you. And you can set locations in them. So again, on holiday in Spain, in the villa, I left my rucksack and you know, the house keys in, in, in the house. The first time I walked to it, went, hang on, you've left this behind. Did you mean to do that? And you can say, don't do it in this location. So, you know, they have thought through some bits and pieces. So as a piece of hardware, I think it's good. It's a 30 quid device. You can change the battery yourself every year, and it's a CR2302 battery, whatever it is, the old watch battery. It's dead easy to change. They are waterproof. I have thought of attaching one to my pets in case she runs away. I haven't actually got as far of it, and I didn't spend the Apple premium on the Apple holders for them. I got cheap ones off Amazon, and they've been fine. It's also very similar with your iPad. That will tell you when you've left it behind as well, or, or your phone. So they, they are reusing all that tech in a really good way i think yeah maybe maybe i should just order one and try out because i've never used the interface when you when you hunt something down with your phone and, and it points a big arrow to where you've got to go so maybe i should try one out that's really cool and particularly well if you do buy the airpods pro, pro 2 or you get them as present as you keep hinting i'm sure you're hinting to your wife and your anyway you'll have a bit of that anyway because it does exactly the same thing so so it's a thing anyway what prompted this story was Lufthansa have banned air tags and luggage not because of all the worries about tracking or anything but because they keep losing people's bags it seems yeah they, they seem like they're tackling this in the wrong way so somebody's posted on Twitter you've lost my bag I can tell you where it is can you not send it halfway around the world before getting it back to me so a couple of things sprung to mind here. A, feels like they're trying to fix the wrong problem. Why don't you try fixing not losing people's bags and this will be a non-event. But B, 
How do they know you've got an air tag in your case? Well, somebody will get notified, I guess, that it's, you know, traveling around in a conveyor belt or something, because you'll get the baggage handler or whoever will get the, there's an air tag traveling with you. Right. Yeah. Okay. What happens if you've got your iPad in there or your, an old phone or something? You could just have that and use it in the same way or your AirPods. Yeah, of course you could. And, you know, you, once you're away from it, if it's moving with you, then the air tags aren't going to go off because you're traveling with your air tags. It's only when it becomes disassociated from it, which was what your bags are going to do because they're going around the conveyor belt or they're not because they're sitting in Schiphol Airport. So I don't have a problem with this. I'm with you. They're tackling the wrong problem. They're being told how bad their baggage handling is as soon as, you know, because their baggage handlers are wandering with iPhones and the iPhones are going, oh yeah, it's here in Toulouse or wherever it is. And the passenger's not. So the passenger's able to track where their bags are. And the airline's just beginning to look like they are looking bad because they're losing bags all the time. So when you get on an airplane, does your phone pop up and go, there's, you know, there's, there's 20 people tracking you because you're within the range of a whole bunch of air tags. I, I would not have been on a plane. Well, it didn't in the one I do, but I don't think air tags are all that popular, but I suspect this will change, you know, as more people start to use them and as more people have AirPods Pro 2, because lots of people have AirPods Pro 2. But the, what should happen in that case is it shouldn't, because the person who owns the AirPods Pro are with their AirPods Pro. They're traveling with them, so you shouldn't get the alert in that case. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Maybe I should, I'm going on holiday next week. Maybe I should buy one and stick it in my case and try this out. I think you should. For, for, for the greater good of the show the greater good that's uh, that's a hot fuzz reference two weeks in a row <laughs> that can't be hot fuzz it's, it's interesting i'm i don't know how i feel about it i can kind of see where they're at because they don't want the customer telling them where stuff's at but they they're now going to spend time scanning for air tags probably and having a policy and all of this when they should be spending time doing a better job but I mean, what they should be doing is making sure your bags are with you surely yeah no exactly that they're yeah. going to spend time on the false what they perceive as the problem and not deal with the root cause yeah i, I gotta say i just to finish this up I, th- I agree with you lufthansa are doing the wrong thing here and i hope more airlines just accept the fact that you know they need to do a better job with people's bags this isn't a new problem you know i remember watching a show on tv a few years ago about what happens with all the bags that never find their owners again and what they do is they give it a couple of years and then they auction them off lucky dip well, yeah, you mean, what you're probably getting is somebody sandy flip-flops and a couple of pairs of dirty pants, but who knows, you might get the one with a laptop in it or, or, or something else. And I'm a bit uncomfortable with that. You, you know, Have they made all possible efforts to reunite those baggage, that, that, those baggages with the passengers? Probably not. No. So what is... AirTag's ro- really £35 RRP. Yeah, they are. That's more expensive than I thought. Well, that's why you buy the pack of four for 100 quid, and it doesn't seem quite so... Yeah, that's a lot of money, isn't it? It is a lot of money, yeah. I occasionally think I'm going to buy some more, but I've kind of, for the moment, I've got the things tracked that I want to have tracked. So there you go. There's another, there's another Christmas present for you. Can you can ask some, for some air tags? Do you reckon um, I, we could hide one on our children because one of them started walking home from school now he's a bit older, and this would be a great way of tracking him without giving him a phone. Stick it in his rucksack. Stick it in his rucksack. It's not a bad idea, is it? Although any of his friends at school have got phones, it's going to say there's an air, pad, air tag going with you. So, you know. Yeah, he's in that age group now where they've started getting phones, but we're trying to hold off a little bit. It's a thought. I think you should get one to experiment with it anyway, because the little demo of I've lost my keys and you can walk around the house and find them again, that's pretty cool. And for me as a dog walker, 
the thought of losing my house keys and my car keys, and because I don't generally take the Tesla when I'm walking the dog because I don't want it full of sand, is a bit of a worry, actually. I don't want to get stuck on the beach somewhere, potentially, or a beach in the middle of West Wales or something. In the middle of West Wales? The edge of West Wales. You know, with, with the keys left on a, on a stony beach somewhere. So, you know, stuff like that's really good. No, I can see it. I can see it. All right. I'll put it on the list. Yeah, to do. Good. Okay. Anything else to add on air tags? No, I don't think so. I think I should buy one and and report back, I guess. So I will go onto Amazon now and order one up. Okay. Next bit then, a listener, a listener who wrote in previously, actually, Ed, has got back in touch with us to give us a bit more feedback on our review of podcasting clients. And I'll read the email in its entirety. Hi, Chris and Rod. Don't know if you remember, I asked about podcast apps before. Your reviews were really helpful. I tried Overcast and liked it. I also had a web player. I tried Castro and liked being able to import audiobooks. Didn't know any podcast app had this. Neither did both of those things, so I did a search by apps for a feature and settled on PocketCast. Works really well on iPhone, and I'd recommend. Thought I'd write and say thanks, and the album art you mentioned. The last episode has been working fine in PocketCast. So that's answered a couple of questions for us there, hasn't it? No, that's good. That's really good news. I'm glad that he liked our review. I'm glad the album art's working. Actually, Overcast does let you upload audiobooks. I think you have to pay the annual subscription of circa $8.99. I've never done it, but Ed writing this actually made me think, should I export out some of my audiobooks from the Audible app and stick them Overcast? Because the Apple Watch app for Audible is awful, whereas actually the Overcast app is pretty good. And I am a premium subscriber of overcast because i use it a lot so i'm happy to buy audible books i'm not going to say i'm going to stop buying them but i think you can do something to to rip them so you've got your own backups of them so i would be tempted to have a look at them i don't know whether it's too much effort so this raises a thought in my mind about i know in america that they have a feature where you can get books on tape or whatever they are with particular apps to listen to them so maybe that's how it works in the uk that you know they they make them freely available from a library or something like that or there are audiobooks or presumably drm free audiobooks i don't know enough about this where you might want a good player in this case ed has settled on pocket casts but that, that's interesting is it? it's not a use case i'd think of for a podcast player and it's interesting it's triggered something in your head as well yeah it's only because i was trying to get an audiobook from my phone onto my watch and it's just rubbish, whereas Overcast seems to download podcasts really quickly. And you just tap the button in the app, whereas Amazon have done nothing to their watch app in years. And it just doesn't sync very well. Whereas for me, I like to go on a walk and I like to leave my phone behind so I don't go and read work emails or get distracted with that. You know, it's nice just to leave it all behind. So that's why I was trying to work out how to listen to Audible books better. I love the Audible service. I've listened to a lot of books on it. I I buy hundreds, well, not hundreds a year. I buy, I think, 20 to 30 a year. And so I'm building up quite a collection of them. And I do go back and listen to, to previous ones as well. So it's just, actually, maybe that would solve my watch issue with the app. So I might might give that a go. Yeah, I don't know, I have any idea how I would take the Audible file, even if I could, and re-encode it. So I need to have a look at that. Interesting. Yeah, good. Like I say, not a feature I'd look at in a podcast client. So I'm glad you found something that works for you, Ed. And if you find something better, by all means, come back in touch with us and, and, and keep us up to date. Good. Thanks for that. Last last topic for today, then. Hey, last one. Very small topic. I've been playing with my new phone. I was doing a bit of black and white photography. And I thought, do you use any apps for taking photos? And other than the camera app on your iPhone, or are you a devout camera app person? I just use the camera app that comes with the phone. I read these reviews of apps like Halide from people who say they're really good for it. And then I think, but I just want the thing that works when I press the button on the lock screen to open up the camera app. 
And I don't know if these things work like that. Can you trigger halide with the camera thing? So you can't trigger it with the camera icon in the bottom left of the lock screen, but you can now with a lock screen widget, put widget on, which is just a shortcut to the app, which is great. And so the two apps that I'm aware of are halide and I never know how you pronounce it. And I do, I'm trying that out. And there's Obscura 3 as well. And Obscura 3 rose to prominence. It's an indie developer and he was doing a lot of black and white photography with it. And so you can just choose a black and white filter in it. I find the interface really confusing. I probably need to spend a little bit more time with it. But I took a photo of a tree the other day in black and white and I was really chuffed with it. So that's why I was asking because I can't. I, I quite enjoy my photography. I'm loving the new cameras on this phone. I've taken some, well, I think good shots with it. But I just want to play with it a bit more because... I've always got my phone on me, well, apart from when I'm walking with Alan and listening to an audiobook, as we just discussed. But when I have got it on me, I, you know, sometimes it's nice to have a distraction. And like I'm in London I, for a meeting, I might take a photo of a tall building and I want to do something a bit arty with it. So I didn't know whether you did any other apps or not, or whether you've ever tried any. No, like I say, I've pretty much just stuck to the, the default application, but... I do find it limiting. I got to say, there are there are occasions where it just frustrates me about, like we've talked about the macro facility before, it just automatically pops into place. I think you can go into the interface and change some settings and things to do it. But it's a camera app. Why can't they sort of surface all that sort of stuff on the on the initial screen? So there's that. And then the other thing that's put me off, and keeping in mind I used to have a DSLR. In fact, I've still got a DSLR. It's in a cupboard over there somewhere. I used to be really quite into taking nice photographs. I'd spend my time setting them up out of the right lens for it. I'd try and get the right light. And then I'd make use of an application at the other end of something like Aperture or Lightroom to actually sort of manage my photographs and all the rest of it. And Lightroom particularly was a, was a great application. You know, I spent a lot of time sort of color correcting and white balancing and doing all that kind of stuff in my photographs. And with the advent of about, I don't know, I guess it's about the iPhone 6, when the camera got good enough, I pretty much stopped carrying my DSLR around with me and I just used a phone. And at the same time, I just made use of not even Apple Photos. It was just... I stopped fiddling with photos almost altogether, you know, other than tagging people in them so I could find, you know, people in places quite quickly. I became a bit lax on that side of things, but this might be a good thing. I should maybe go off and investigate. Yeah. So I, I have a DSLR I did, and I've now got a mirrorless body. I really enjoy taking photos when I have time. I don't often take my full blown big camera with me. What frustrates me a little bit with the camera app is there's a little arrow at the top in the middle. And you have to push that and loads of settings are hidden behind it. And I do wonder actually whether Apple, now they have, do a lot more with RAW and they've got a lot more photography capability, whether they need to keep the camera up as it is and just give that to everybody, but then just do camera pro or whatever they want to call it, or ultra, camera ultra app, which just is really aimed at people that want to do a bit more, a bit more in the enthusiast market. I do find it is tricky because there are a lot of settings that you can do with it. Um, yeah, I want to do a bit more photography, I think is what I'm saying. And I love the new cameras. And I was just looking for some feedback, probably a bit like Ed was, of what do we do with apps? I wonder what, what maybe you would do. It is interesting. So while we've been talking, I've downloaded Halide Halide. It has started, it wants me to start a free trial for 89p or 50 quid for a lifetime membership for access to some neural machine learning tool. I don't know if I want to do that, but in order to use the app, I've got to get past that stage. So I've 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 clicked on it. To I think you can tap the not now button or across or something because I've seen that pop up and I didn't do it because I didn't know how much I would use it. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to immediately go to the app store and sort of try and 
and, and can slick because otherwise I'll forget. So you go into your settings app and you can do it in there, settings, yeah. and then tap on you. And then there's Obscure as well. I re-downloaded this. I don't know if I bought it before, but it didn't pop up asking for any money. It looks quite good, but I, again, there's lots of settings in it. I need to understand a bit more about it. I guess it's quite tricky with the camera app because you need most of the screen to be the viewfinder. And it's probably quite a challenge for the UI designers to get all the buttons in there and all the settings. But I found some good results with Obscure because you can just pick a filter, like a black and white filter. It's got various different types. So I do think there's some quite cool apps. And yeah, I've, I'm, I've been quite pleased with some of the shots I've got. Yeah, no, it's fair enough. It's, it's definitely interesting. And I think you've started something here. I will go off and I'll try, and, I'll try these because it's very easy to get complacent in what you do and think the only way of doing things is Apple's thing. And I'm quite glad there are developers who are sort of pushing this forward a little bit to try and do something different because, you know, they are amazing cameras and the features we accept that come out of Apple Photos and out of the camera app are the ones that have been baked into us. So we start to associate good photography with a particular color profile or a particular depth or something like that. And the fact we talked about the Pixel phones earlier, Google have made entirely different choices for the way their software looks with the rest of it. So having that little bit of your own touch with this isn't necessarily a bad thing and taking a bit more ownership of of your photographs because let's face it they're with you for years and years and years and years you want them to look as good they want them to have a style they have that you want to have the look that you associate with good photographs and if we all just accept the particular set of presets that apple have given for us that may not always be the best thing it's probably a reasonable rule of thumb that it's okay but there may well be something better so i think it's it's a good challenge to go off and look at it yeah, well, like I said, I think I was just getting cheesed off with the camera app, just the way it's laid out, and I want, want to do more with it. And like I say, some of the pre preset filters in Obscura 3 look, look pretty good and worked for me for some of the different black and white ones I was I was fiddling with. I don't know, I really enjoyed the The iPhone's got me back into it, this new one with the better camera technology, especially having macro and things which I haven't had before. It's really got me back into doing a bit more photography when I'm just out and about like say even if it's a work meeting i've got the option now in my pocket to take a photo definitely not as good as my mirrorless full frame camera but it still is pretty good for what it is yeah you tell me is that a complicated enough interface is there enough buttons and things that have... <laughs> it's a nightmare isn't it there's just so much stuff you can do with it all. so is it i think it is a ui designer's nightmare yeah it's it's a complicated thing isn't it? all right so there's follow-up for both of us for next week i'll check out halide you check out obscura and we'll come back and we'll have a discussion. Sounds like a plan. Brilliant. Good show, Chris. Yeah, cheers, Rob. Thank you for that. And look, if anybody like Ed wants to get in contact, do drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or reach out on Twitter at WFS underscore podcast. Love to hear any questions, anything you'd like us to cover, any feedback. It's all good. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you next week. Cheers, Rob. Bye-bye.